वेलकम टू वट द April Fools edition. Don't be fooled. Everything you are about to hear is real. Or the opposite. Or the opposite. Real hogwash. Um if you've stumbled upon this program, Matt, could you uh, explain what uh what just happened to somebody who fell through this portal? Uh, well, first I would reassure them that the internet is a strange place, um, and it takes you all to all kinds of odd places. Um, they have unfortunately found themselves in a place where uh, reality is is uh, no longer dependable, and we will change things on them uh, and then run with the consequences. Um, so they might suddenly find themselves um, not having feet or having tails uh, or being in a world where eggs can talk. Um and then uh, they will not escape from that world until the end of the episode so they will have to accept the consequences of that that was fantastic and 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 the reason for this is this just just out of sheer whimsy or malice oh uh, usually you... we try to teach something um yes. uh, that is in the process of disturbing reality we learn something about reality um, but yeah sometimes we just have a grudge against somebody and we reshape reality to um Uh, make life miserable for them but that doesn't happen very often right 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 it's all in the interest of science what we call psycom science communication um and uh so you will actual facts will f- no, fall out no matter how crazy we are in fact perhaps the sometimes the more crazy we get in in the next uh, half hour or 45 minutes or so um the more facts may shake out and fall into your bag that you can keep mm-hmm. for later for later. Um that uh that uh great voice you were just listening to is uh, Professor Matthew Stanley from New York University. Uh you are a historian of science. Mhm. That, that is true. Yeah. That's true. And a double black belt uh karate sensei with a Um uh, that's right. That often. Yeah. That's right. Often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh also with us is Gabby Pinicia. virologist from Rockefeller University. Uh Gabby, how are you? I am good. You know, obviously living the worst life because I'm not a double back black belt in karate. Uh, <laughs> but I should say that's a, that's a fixable problem. This is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very true. <laughs> Give me uh, uh, the next 10 years of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> cool. But you have done uh among your many uh activities is capoeira is that correct yeah i play capoeira yeah i'm sucking a lot less actually which is very nice pleasantly oh, rewarding good for you <laughs> <laughs> excellent excellent is that is that what i want i wonder what color if i had to be a color belt what would be sucking less color uh, so they less. some people use a three belt system and it's the colors what? of the flag of brazil i just oh, don't nice. know which color corresponds to what and at what point you get It's very loose and it tends mm-hmm. to be pretty informal. I don't even think my like group has belts. Um it's just sort of like you're like, "Oh, that that person's really good." Um and so then you you kind of just know. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. Uh if you'd like to know more, I haven't haven't given a plug for this particular link uh in a long time. If you want to know more about uh any of us, I'm a documentary filmmaker. That's all I can say about that. Um go to our website, whattheif.com. and uh you can click on the about page there and uh 
read about us some more. Also, if you, uh, before we get running, I want you to know that uh, we are here thanks to the generosity of um, certain listeners in our audience, your colleagues, or you yourself, if you're one of those wonderful people, um, who have become members of What the If, become a super ifer through membership. Um, just go to our website, whattheif.com, and you'll see right there, you can click on a, uh, a link that takes you to our membership page, which is uh, through Patreon. If you're familiar with mm -hmm. Patreon, you can go straight there, patreon.com slash whattheif. You just go to our website, and I have a link right there. Um, go check it out. You can get uh, all kinds of fun uh, goodies for being a member. You can have a T-shirt with the What the If logo. You could have a mug with the What the If logo uh, on the ob obverse and reverse. Did I use that term correctly, Matt? Is that correct? The, there's the, the um, reverse. I believe they call it the front the obverse. Yeah, I'm not sure, actually. I'm not sure. Help mm -hmm. fund our research into this <laughs> rabbit hole. Go to uh, whattheif.com yeah. and click on right there on our membership page and find out all the kind of cool stuff. You can also have hoodies, all kinds of things. And uh, by the way, it's finally coming. Um, apologies for those members who have joined. It's, it's the first one, so it's taken me a little while. Our first newsletter is about to come out um, exclusively for Patreon members only. Also, uh, we're working on, um, we're going to um, find some time and do, uh, we'll do like a kind of special special uh, recordings just for members, exclusively for members. Maybe we'll go a little bit longer on a particular topic, or I'll get to talk to each of my uh, co-hosts here about their background and uh, <laughs> their hopes and dreams and fears, any of those things, which you can only get by being a member. Patreon.com slash what they All right, so uh, getting to the if today. Today is a an odd day on the calendar. Um, and uh, Matt, do you have any knowledge about why April 1st is what it is. It gives oh, such a little introduction for those yeah, who Yeah, no, don't I, I, I don't, actually. Um, yeah. I don't know anything about the history of this. Um, uh, uh, but, for yeah, for those of you who are not familiar with it, um, in, uh, let's see, I guess in the Anglo-American West, uh, where we live, um, it is traditional that on the first day of April, um, pranks are executed, um, falsehoods are portrayed as truth, um, uh, and, uh, generally people try to, um, unsettle your grip on reality, um, so with the, uh, varying levels of, of magnitude. Um, I don't know where this tradition comes from. Actually. Yeah. And I can say though, it has over the course of my lifetime, such as it has been long or short, however you see it, depending on your perspective, uh, the popularity of April Fool's Day has grown, um, in the sense of the number of people who get into it. Like, at some point, news organizations started doing April Fool's jokes, running news stories, you know, uh, as if they were real. And I have always found that to be kind of annoying and odd that they would do it. But I guess they, they would say that, well, everybody understands this is what happens on this day. It's just a day of insanity. Um, and uh, Gabby was uh, kind of reviewing some of the great pranks that have been done in the past. And we, we discovered that, uh, uh, well, Matt, you were telling us that the BBC has a long tradition. The British Broadcasting Corporation has a long tradition. Um, uh, they do, at least 50 years or so. Of, um, on April 1st, uh, the BBC um, would uh, 
prank their listeners and watchers um, by presenting some bit of absurdity, as though it was it was true. Um, and there's a sense in which, like, only the BBC could pull these things off <laughs> be- because they're so well respected, but also because of that super dry hyper factual presentation that Uh. only the BBC can do so that when you hear the absurdity uh, presented in the, you know, the Queens received English, you're like, well, that's gotta be true. Right. The the Brits would never mess with me about this. Yes. Yes, that's true. And I also, I think though the British people are more to, you know, if you're, if, if it's your native language and not just even your native language, but your native accent, culture, whatever, all that sort of stuff. I'm guessing that they're more attuned to the slight changes in tone or something like that that indicate this is irony. Whereas, Yeah, that's right. And actually, this is a problem that a lot of Americans have when they visit the UK for the first uh, time, um, is that they do not recognize these very subtle signs of, of irony, um, which I should say is also a problem when uh, Americans get like letters of recommendation from people in the UK. Um, because we do not pick up on um, certain things. Would that be, for instance, when uh, I was uh, got hired to work with some British folks, and uh, I was warned ahead of time about certain, just be aware of certain things they say, which may not have the same meaning mm-hmm. to us, and, and one of them was the be aware of the word quite. Yeah, uh, yes, that, that is the classic example. That's right. Uh, so this, you say, this person is quite a good student. That actually means they are a terrible student. Um, <laughs> Um, so already, already great knowledge uh, you can use right away. Mm-hmm. Put that, yeah. you know, go make sure you um, review those letters of recommendation before you send them on to your uh, to your potential employer. Um, and so, Gabby, w- looking at that list of uh, classic BBC pranks, what is uh, one that uh, jumped out at you as, like, awesome? <laughs> yeah, well, the one that I thought was really funny is... Um, in 1957, there was the spaghetti tree hoax, which was a three-minute just like hoax report. Um, it was showing like a family in southern Switzerland harvesting spaghetti from their spaghetti tree, where allegedly it was like, you know, a, a very like nice spaghetti harvest that year because it was a mild winter and apparently virtual disappearance of the spaghetti weevil, which I guess plagues spaghetti crops. Um, and apparently, spaghetti was not really well known in the UK at the time. Um, so people didn't uh, really, it wasn't as much common knowledge. It was just made from flour and water. Um, so apparently people afterwards contacted the BBC for advice on growing their own. Um, and it just was a shockingly big prank. Yeah, I don't know if they would have had to air a uh, a follow-up afterwards. <laughs> um, but apparently after hundreds of people phoned in to question like the authenticity of the story or ask for more information on spaghetti cultivation, the BBC told them to place a sprig of spaghetti in a tin of tomato sauce and hope for the best, which <laughs> I think is just remarkable. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Great. You know, I'll, have to, I'll, I'll, um, I'll find a link to one of these. Uh, uh, hopefully there's, I'm sure there's a recording somewhere. Put that in. Um, so I, I'm particularly partial to this one, too, because I love spaghetti. And if spaghetti grew on trees, I would uh, grow as many of those trees as possible. Um, so we, as is our, uh, as is our want, we, uh, we take these fanciful questions and we run with them. And I think this is an important scientific, you know, this is a real thought experiment that uh, is important. We need to know. 
We need to know uh, mm -hmm. what would happen. Um, by which I mean to say, what the if? Spaghetti grew on trees. Imagine, imagine an Amazon forest full of spaghetti. The mind reels. What would you do if you had a spaghetti tree in your backyard? What if a tree suddenly started sprouting spaghetti and you didn't know it was a spaghetti tree? That would be bizarre. That would be embarrassing. Yeah, that would be bizarre. Um, so, uh, Gabby, help us uh, help us begin. What do we if if as we say these are thought experiments, and so we do these actually with the intention of um, kind of practicing the scientific method, should we say? Um, so if this this is a real thing, you've let's say we've we've come across like explorers in, in the new world. We've come across a forest in which there are trees um, that have blossomed with spaghetti. Uh, as a scientist, what do you do? Yeah. Um, so first is I guess to sort of probe the nature of what it is I'm looking at, try to classify what sort of fruit it is. Fruit classification is actually pretty kind of bonkers. I'm sure this is a thing that you know, you've heard before where strawberries are not actually berries. Um, eggplants are fruit. Like it, it's, it's, are eggplants actually berries? Yeah, it's, stuff is weird. Stuff is very weird <laughs> with the way that how, how particular fruit products, and I'm saying fruit generally because I guess it could be classified as a vegetable, are classified scientifically. Uh, a lot right. of it has to do with how it develops from uh, the flower. Um, so, assumably, this plant has to flower first and then release spaghetti. Um, oh, yeah. But it might be kind of nice to have to observe the life cycle, right? Because if the BBC is telling people, you know, you grow these plants from sticking a sprig of spaghetti into tomato sauce, that makes me think of propagation as opposed to necessarily a seed. Um, so, it'd be kind of interesting to observe, you know, take some of the harvest, try to grow it mm -hmm. yourself, observe sort of the full life cycle of this uh, in your own. I'm assuming sterile laboratory, greenhouse, or what have you. Um, I'm not uh, so much familiar with the ecology of trees, not ecology, the biology of trees, and mm -hmm. you know how people go about studying them. Uh, nowadays, you'd probably want to sequence the genome, uh, compare it to the genomes, uh, of course, yeah. of mm -hmm. other types of noodle trees endemic to other areas, uh, like from <laughs> noodle, noodle trees. trees, glass noodle trees, your udon noodle trees. <laughs> Because, um, you know, the, these are widespread. It's just specifically spaghetti noodles that are seeming to take us by storm now. Because, um, you know, it, this could be just some some particularly rare subspecies or cultivar of, um, you know, more Asian endemic noodle trees uh, that somehow made its way to southern Switzerland. Okay, that's a great, that's a nice approach. I kind of like this idea. So kind of, I, I imagine um, uh, Marco Polo, um, bringing back a a, um, a sapling of a noodle tree from China, um, and then having to plant it and grow it for a few generations, um, and so then I guess that would explain the different kinds of pasta are all different. What subspecies of the noodle tree? That's what I'm thinking, based on okay. different like starch storage methods. Oh um, yeah, okay. So I guess maybe this is something I should mention um, for. Those of our listeners who maybe are not as enamored with noodles as myself, because I, <laughs> I really have a thing for noodles. Um, 
they can be made from all sorts of different flours. And I'm saying flours and not necessarily to mean wheat flour, um, but because it can also be rice flour, uh, mung bean flour. Um, and, you know, these different types of flours essentially made from not necessarily any kind of starch. Some are some, somehow more proteinaceous, I think. It's, it's just kind of different ways of processing starch usually uh, that has different compositions to create some kind of noodle, a long, sometimes thin, sometimes flat, sometimes round, starchy thing um, that is kind of just like a nice backbone of most cuisines as far as like dietary staples go. Um, so noodles are a thing that kind of people have been making everywhere in a lot of different ways for thousands upon thousands of years. Um, also so, in different shapes. Now I yeah. know the shapes in quote reality, so to speak, if there were such a thing, mm -hmm. uh, the shapes are created after the fact, I suppose, just by uh, the way you roll it. Um, but uh, I think for sure, and I also am a, a great lover of spaghetti, uh, as my um, the uh, waist measurement on my uh, jeans will test. <laughs> I love spaghetti. And uh, I love all the different kinds, cavatappi, rotelli, fettuccine, linguine, all those different things, all those different shapes. And I imagine that a beautiful forest might have, or, you know, um, um, what do you call it? Uh, an orchard, an orchard. I can imagine an orchard with, here's the rotelli section, here's the fettuccine section, different mm -hmm. things where the way it comes off the trees. Um, Actually, so now that, go ahead. I was going to say that brings up a good point. So as yeah. far as the classification of these trees go. So things that have to make completely different starches are probably different subspecies of noodle tree. If there's genus yeah. noodleus treeus, I don't really know. <laughs> I can't, <laughs> How that you know, exactly. genus Ranzoni. Yeah. I can't really off rip just develop the Latin like that. I don't know, Matt, <laughs> if you have a more extensive no, no, experience in scientific yeah. classifications. Um, but, you know, I'd imagine things like, you know, in plants, um, you can see a lot of variation in leaf, sh leaf shape, leaf color that are all really just the result of selective breeding. So, for example, on my desk, I have a variegated pothos, which is basically looks like a normal pothos plant except for the fact that its leaves are speckly. And that's because mm. they've just cultivated one that had sort of a messed up uh, mutation as far as chlorophyll deposition in the leaves. And so then there's some places where the leaf doesn't put chlorophyll in is white. So I'm imagining if we've got spaghetti trees, there's probably is some sort of base wild type noodle cultivar, which is much like all of the other noodle trees that you'll see where it's just long, thin strands. Mm -hmm. uh, but then as a result of human intervention, you can cultivate... Um, your other sort of strange shapes, like you know, the fusilli tree was a real, real advancement in the world of um, spaghetti tree horticulture. Yeah, yeah. the the uh, The penne tree would be particularly bizarre, where you get these tubes, you know, uh, coming off the tree. Um, th then there's the uh, uh, the little. By the way, different companies, different pasta companies, sometimes call certain used used different names for the same shapes or whatever. Uh, rotelli, for instance, I've noticed that sometimes rotelli is the spiral, um, almost a larger version of the fusilli, a little spiral, corkscrew type shape. Mm -hmm. Sometimes rotelli though, and this is more my favorite, this is not as easy to find, it's less, it's more rare in the wild, in the, by, by in the wild, I mean in the grocery store. Um, and that is rotelli is often a little wheel, it looks like a little, 
like a uh, wagon yeah. wheel. Mm-hmm. Now that growing on a tree would be stupendous. That you know, I'm trying to imagine that with the little little wheels. Um, so take gotta, I got to go way back because like I'm already I've already fallen off the science wagon here and I'm, and, and I'm a little bit lost. So uh, help me understand. Um, my first question is: Is it possible? Is it actually possible for such a thing? to happen, or is this biologically impossible as far as our current knowledge goes? And then number two might just be what, what if, it, if it does happen, what, what might the tree look like? What kind of tree would it have to be, perhaps, to, to be growing spaghetti? So the first thing, is this actually possible? I mean, is there, is there any reason why? Well, I don't know what, um, I mean, Gabby, as you say, it's just, pasta is just a fancy starch storage system, um, and plants do store starch, so is there... Yeah, so I think it might have to do partially with the linkages themselves. Again, this is getting into the part of, like, stuff like baking, where I'm not particularly um, aware of, but I don't know how much gluten is, say, naturally produced or linked together um, within a plant. Um, let's see. Okay, um, so it has to do with the combination of two proteins, glutenin and gliadin, uh, which combine with water. Um, and th- those proteins are involved, are found in wheat and other kind of similar grains. Um, and so it has to do with when it's mixed. So I guess you could have some kind of enzyme that binds those together um, naturally in a plant, um, such that when it's forming uh, a fruit and is packing its energy into that, it's forming gluten structures, which are sort of for rigidity, um, as well as just you know packing starch in. Um, I guess some of the problems comes in from you know putting energy into a fruit is a very ordered process for a plant, right? It okay. and specifically, it usually serves a purpose. So that fruit is not just for us; um, it's so that it can spread its seeds somewhere else. And oftentimes, it makes a fruit because that entices certain animals to eat it and then poop out the seeds. Um, so that helps the plant to spread. Um, so it's not, you know, necessarily beneficial for a plant to just be producing pasta if there's no seed or anything else like that. Um, so what you'd be getting from the wild, I imagine, is some kind of coarser starch um, that has been yet unrefined that contains, I don't know, hard little little pasta tree seeds. Because mm-hmm. um, there's no reason for the, the plant to put its, its nutrients and its energy into making something that is so easily scavenged and available by anything that walks by and getting no Everybody benefit else. for it whatsoever. So this is I, hadn't, I really hadn't thought about that. I was just thinking, yeah, trees grow fruit. I don't know, whatever they seem to. <laughs> and and in my mind, it was like, well, it's just some sort of almost excess. You know, it's like, oh, makes an apple, you eat the apple. But actually, what you're saying is no. Actually, that's where. So in in trees that have fruit, is it that that is? Uh, in other words, we know uh, in a pine cone tree, for instance, it's clear that the pine cone or acorns or things like that. Those are those carry the seeds of the tree, right? They fall mm-hmm. down and they go into the ground and. And that, and they become, <clears throat> they grow more trees later. Um, what you're saying is, is it in a fruit tree, the only way the seeds, that the seeds are all in the fruit? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so yeah. perfect example. Um, I have a pomegranate tree in my house. 
It's a dwarf pomegranate tree, so it won't take over. Um, and specifically, one of the neat features of a dwarf pomegranate tree as opposed to a full-size pomegranate is it makes little dwarf-sized fruits. Um, so the biggest of the fruits that it's it makes is are about the size of the center of my palm, maybe about mm. like an inch and a half in radius, um, more like an inch in radius maybe. Um, and it clearly packs the same amount of sugar into a small fruit as it does into a large fruit because the fruit of this, the dwarf pomegranate is actually a lot sweeter than a larger pomegranate. It's not able to fit as many seeds in there, but the seeds are still the same size and I think in theory would be able to grow perfectly fine and, and sprout. Um, so plants really have this whole process pretty tightly regulated because they, they this is part of you know the survival of their species yeah. as being able to grow um, new plants. And, and then people are part of this ecosystem. The people, in other words, people eat the tree, eat the fruit, right? And then poop the fruit, seeds. Yeah, and in some mm -hmm. ways, you know, you know, our cultivation of plants has kind of been sort of a, a weird cheat in some ways for plants that some have gotten incredibly successful because human beings have been cultivating them. Uh, so, for example, the, the plant that I'm thinking about that would have died out, if not for human intervention, was avocados. So they essentially evolved yeah. to be eaten by prehistoric giant sloths. Um, and when the giant sloths died out, there was nothing that was going to eat an entire avocado and pass an entire avocado seed whole. I mean, you try that. It's not going to go well. <laughs> um, so essentially, it was only human intervention as we learned to eat these and then, you know, just remove the pits and put them somewhere else and uh. maybe grow those that enabled um, avocados to still exist and also to, to thrive. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah, sorry. So I think that's that's just uh, actually an important detail. Which, of course, the the trees presume the pasta trees would have evolved pasta for this purpose before humans were around. So that means that there's some animal out there that eats pasta, <laughs> right? Naturally. So I don't know if these are like monkeys that climb up the trees and make their own pasta, uh -huh. giant ground sloths that sort of sit up on their hind legs and eat the cavatelli. Um, uh, but one way or the other, there's something in the animal kingdom that thoroughly enjoys noodles. And and also that that raises the question of do you have to pick, do you have to uh, get up there and pick it off the tree, or can it fall down and still be good? And and so therefore, what is the spaghetti mm -hmm. like now? When you buy spaghetti, it's hard, right? So it's not, it's definitely it's obviously we know it's not soft until you boil it, and so. Uh, it would seem to me that what is hanging from these trees is hard spaghetti that could be, you know, just like apples. You could pick it off the tree, but it could also fall to the ground and still be good. Well, I will argue based on the BBC uh, video that it might actually be boiled like soft spaghetti, especially oh, if this right. is if this uh, is fresh. Oh, wait, they made spaghetti. a video? Oh yeah, yeah. This is a video. This was aired on television. Um, and, and like so, radio. Oh my god. No, it's amazing. it's really worth looking at the at the photos. And it's literally just like strands of spaghetti hanging down off the tree. Imagine like a banyan tree, that kind of like sort of droopy oh, nice. look, but it's just spaghetti. Um, so I I think also too, you know, the process of making pasta, it does start out um, you know, pliable like that, and it only dries if you want it to dry. Um, so for example, if I made pasta today and then decided to eat all of it today it would go and would still be wet and just you know not wet but just not dried out and really hard like that and then just right into the pot um so it, it's a drying method um so i think that that's an, a very obvious human being food preservation strategy 
um, that it's very yeah. easy yeah. to um, to to dry these out. Uh, but it does raise the point that you know clearly whatever this is, it's able to once it's dried out still propagate if you're able to stick it in tomato sauce, and uh, it'll it'll sprout. Okay, yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Now here's a basic question. There's something I just don't know. Uh, how how is pasta actually made? Does it come from wheat? Wheat or yeah, so basically you have flour. Um, right. So this is my, I, I couldn't give you exact recipes because I use my grandmother's method, which means you pour out about a this much pasta, like about a this much flour. <laughs> Literally, I asked her, I was like, Grandma, how many cups of flour is that? She's like, looks at me like I'm like grossing her. She's like, it's this much flour. Um, <laughs> but of course, with like her accent. Um, and then you crack an egg in the middle. Um, and then it's easier if you sort of like make like a bowl out of it. Uh, and then you sort of stir it and mix it together um, until it sort of incorporates the egg and you kind of have to add more water. Uh, but you end up with this kind of yellowish pliable ball um, that you then kind of, after you've made it, you let it rest for a bit and then start the process of rolling it out uh, into sheets. Uh, so a lot of people do that with the help of a pasta maker um, to sort of get it elongated into those long sheets um, and then cut into strips. Um, but depending on what you want to do with it, you might leave it as strips. So, for example, ravioli, you need it as really long, flat pieces where you then put the filling in and then lay another flat piece on top of. Yeah. So doughs are very Ooh. easy to do. It just takes a little bit of a practice. Mm -hmm. So an essential part of that is the egg. So whatever, what is the egg bringing that would have to therefore be in the tree, right? It seems like whatever the egg is, the, the, the egg ingredient... Yeah needs to be in the tree for this pasta to be able to grow. Yeah, so it's just a binding agent. Um, so ah. this is one of these things where, you know, you kind of don't want your starch to fall apart. It is possible to just make a dough out of, you know, water and flour, um, but then you want to sort of, you know, really work it to make sure there's gluten formation, so it's kind of tight. Mm -hmm. um, but the egg is sort of your, your binding thing. So that kind of thing is, is just protein, really. Um, so it's plenty easy for the a plant to just kind of stack huh? more of that in there. Um, although it is interesting that it would make something that's particularly stretchy because um, that's not always yeah. a, a plant fruit property. You can't go and stretch a banana and have a good time <laughs> about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could, but it's it's not going to be a great time. Banana stretching time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Matt, as you're standing in this uh, grove of spaghetti trees, um, what are you? Uh, what are you thinking? How are you going to get from here to a scientific paper? Um, well, so there's a, a bunch of interesting things going on. I mean, one of them is that um, this makes human civilization a lot easier. Um, oh. We don't need huge fields of grain, um, and and that's good because they're hard to grow. Um, and uh, there are a lot of work to make edible, too. So if instead of having to grow our grains and then um, harvest them and then dry them and then grind them up and then cook them, um, if we can just pick pasta off the tree ready to eat, um, that makes human civilization a lot easier from the start. Um, so instead of so now <laughs> Iowa and Nebraska um, are going to be covered with um, orchards instead of grain fields, which I should say is going to be much more pleasant. Um, you know, it's nice and shady, uh, probably better for erosion. Um, uh, monoculture is going to be less frequent, I think. 
Um, I'm also going to be interested in the process of breeding different um, tree varieties together to get new forms of pasta. Um, so like, I don't know what happens when you breed a spaghetti tree with a macaroni tree. Um, oh. is, it, is it hollow afterwards? So I think there are some really interesting genetics experiments to be done off of this. Now, what will be different? <laughs> macaroni and spaghetti are... Oh, see, those are just... As far as we know, they're just two different shapes. Right? That's exactly right. Yeah, to do all right. two different subspecies that happen to grow in, in different shapes. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah. Well, that might be... Like, that's how you get the rotelli or the corkscrew... Right, because you take a mm -hmm. macaroni, which is just a single curve, and you you merge it with a straight spaghetti, and you wind up with long something instead of long and straight, it's long and curved, and you get the corkscrew. Mm -hmm. Actually, yeah, it's well, totally doable. Yeah. yeah, I should say too. You know, um, we have a really as human beings, we are really particularly good at breeding plants uh, in ways that you might not even necessarily realize. Um, so, for example. Example, we have really, really done a number on the mustard family, uh, brassica. Um, so, for example, um, arugula, bok choy, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, collard greens, kale, kohlrabi, cabbage, rutabaga, turnip. They're all the same plant, basically, that we have messed with yeah, nice. genetically Whoa. for thousands of years um, and essentially just breeding for different parts of the plant that we want and that we find desirable and that we want to eat um, and so human beings can kind of really really do a number on the plant so you know if we started with spaghetti tree and really bred out to make macaroni and stuff like that you know that's not necessarily impossible because we've done it before like corn too originated from was it teosinte was i think the original plant where it's like the original size of what corn used to be was the size of a quarter. Mm -hmm. And huh. then we bred it to be huge and have these nice meaty kernels and just be all around a much better plant. And if, if you live anywhere near a place where corn is grown, especially in the U.S., you know how many different cultivars you get throughout the year and they taste dramatically different. Um, that's like my one beard Marylander thing. I, I know varieties of corn. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, that's and, right. So we would uh, we would certainly have spent the last ten thousand years breeding better noodle trees. Um, so that would certainly be what longer and bigger noodles. Is that what we want from our noodles? I, I'm imagining different shapes, longer, okay. bigger noodles, better mm -hmm. harvest. Um, it's possible that so if, if these are noodle trees have to have seeds in them or whatever. It's probably not something you particularly want in your pasta. So maybe we've developed uh, yeah, a seedless, seedless variety that we grow through grafting. Mm, um, so the grafting seedless process... Seedless pasta. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. Mm -hmm. well, you know, some people have had whole wheat pasta. It's got that a little bit... Uh, a little grittier, I think, than, than yeah. normal pasta. No, but um, I, I'm sure people have kind of... I guess I should probably talk a little bit about grafting because it's yeah, kind of a neat process. It's something that you cannot do with mammals. Uh, I will say that. So grafting Despite is my best attempts. I should. Say <laughs> <that>. so, go <laughs> ahead. Well, it's it's a very Victor Frankenstein process. Mm -hmm. um, essentially, the idea is taking a piece of one plant and then making like a little wound in another plant, and then just sticking the new other plant into the wound of the other one and letting them grow together, uh, because certain species of plant will generally recombine in that way. Uh, so, so, for example, my. When Go you say, just say when you went wound, you mean this isn't? We're not talking at the genetic. We're not talking about splicing DNA, DNA no, or anything here. No, no, no. You're saying just you're holding the plant. Mm -hmm. So, so both plants are still in dirt. They're still growing. Is that right? 
And you. So one one plant is. Imagine you have a tree, a tree right. in your yard, right? And yeah. this is an apple tree, and you want it to grow. Say it grows red apples, and you want it to go grow green apples. But your neighbor has a green apple tree, and you say, "Hey, can I take a cutting?" So you cut a branch, and you kind of you know peel away the bark on the bottom, and then you cut a piece away of, of your, your, what did I say? You have a red apple tree uh-huh. and then you stick the spring, the green apple branch, that sprig in there. So essentially the green parts of both trees are now touching each other and green. I mean like inner wood. Um, and uh. then you let those fuse and they will fuse <laughs> together and your red apple tree will nourish a green apple branch and you will now start growing red and green apples off Whoa. of your same exact tree. My now grandfather, did this yeah, in his tree in, in Brooklyn, where essentially, as I understand the family story, was that he was a stonemason. So anywhere that they had another fruiting tree that he knew was compatible with his, he would take a cutting of it and then just slap it on the tree. Um, so that tree cool. grew multiple different fruits because he kind of just kept adding branches what? to it whenever he found a different fruit. So no one, this is one of the reasons you wound up in biology, I'm guessing. You're descended from a madman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. My, my grandfather, they, their house in Queens was really interesting because uh, it was uh, they had they had a really immaculate garden, but also like he had messed with like the drainage off of the um, the house to irrigate the back garden. So like all of the anytime it rained, rather than it just going like I don't know into the street or whatever, he changed all the drainage so it would go out over the garden and then water all the plants. It was it was Fantastic. a really really well engineered system, and I think that's where that's we get awesome. most of our science from. Was his <laughs> mad science around that house? Super cool. Now I can say I wasn't there, but I I'm pretty sure, pretty sure. I would bet a lot of money on the fact that that the moment it was a it was a bright sunny day when he did this, where he took the one branch and he pushed it into the uh, other, pushed it, the green branch into the red apple tree. Uh, it was a bright sunny day, and yet. There was still a very loud thunderclap and flash of lightning when he did that. Yeah, just you know, for sure. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> standard. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, so go ahead. So grafting, grafting. Yes, the okay. grafting process now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if if we're imagining this, recontextualizing this within spaghetti tree, I don't know, <laughs> cultivation, um, it might be possible that you know, say you have the normal spaghetti tree root stock. Um, that is a wild type spaghetti tree, um, but that will make a fruit with seeds. But you want specifically a variety that is without seeds, but cannot reproduce by its own fruit. So then you can graft that onto the rootstock of um, a wild type spaghetti tree. And the wild type spaghetti tree will nourish the seedless tree um, and allow that to grow. And you can continue to propagate it by taking bits of seedless tree and grafting them onto other wild type trees. And this is actually how we do it with grapes um, because of a, a grape parasite. So it's, I think most grapes are North American grape roots with European grapes grafted on top because they're no. the ones that taste good. Yeah, wow. we, we, have, we have Franken grapes. It's actually a really interesting story. Well, well I'm, I'm going to now fight to get my freedom grapes. I don't know why, why do I want to do this. <laughs> They might be more bitter, but that's what freedom is like. Yeah, um, they do apparently taste terrible. <laughs> it's why the Viking, like, apparently the Vikings, when they came here, they were enamored. Like, this is a place where grapes grow everywhere. Oh, my God. And then they tried to make wine, and they're like, this is terrible. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, so, Matt, how does this, um, uh, I, I think, unfortunately, and this is just because this is the way our 
our laboratory works. Um, our safety protocols are as tight as can be, and yet always seem to be lacking. Mm -hmm. And so this uh, this uh, what do they call it the uh, the the danger of uh, unexpected consequences. What what happens when this uh, as this continues to go go out of hand? Um, um, I don't know. I think it's all good stuff. I mean, <laughs> nothing nothing bad's gonna happen with more noodles, right? Noodles makes everybody happy. So I think we have fewer wars um, because everybody has full bellies, easy on. Huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lively trade in clippings from pasta trees. So you can graft it onto your own tree in your backyard and you grow your own. Um, I think the great innovation will have to come uh, if somebody can grow a tree uh, that not only grows pasta, but also the sauce. Oh, um, right. I think that's that's going to be tricky, but I don't well, know. Isn't that Some, just called a tomato with... plant? Is <laughs> <laughs> well, if you could just sort of squeeze the plant and get but the, you need the it sauce together. out. Yeah, that'd be yeah. good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe the, I don't know, the, we could engineer the sap, the, the xylem, right. somehow yes. to be, to be yes. tasty. Um, yes. And it just drips right out into the pasta. Um, that'll be the next Nobel Prize. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would be an American thing. I mean, we do need the all-in-one thing. Like, yes, you could, yeah, That's just true. you could have a tomato garden growing, you know, right next to the <laughs> spaghetti trees. But we would still say, no, 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 we need that all-in-one. Just like you can buy peanut butter and jelly together in a jar. That seemed to me the quintessential American thing. Hey, don't trash goober. That is a staple of my vacation <laughs> Diet. My parents never. I was a purely peanut butter and jelly kid. I was very, very picky. And yeah. so then on vacation, because rather than buying peanut butter and jelly separate, because that was more expensive, they just buy one little thing of the goober, and that got me through a week. So that's wow, very nostalgic nice. for me of being that's like a child great. on vacation. It's called goober. It's called goober. Yeah, that's the brand. I was also, uh, and and still am, if I if I didn't restrain myself, also a peanut butter and jelly fanatic. And uh, but when I saw that, see, it might be an a generational thing because for me, we didn't have that at the beginning. And then at some point, I saw now you can buy peanut butter and jelly together in a jar. And I just thought this is a this is a crime against humanity. <laughs> <laughs> this is like chemical. This is like biological warfare. This is unacceptable. Um, it just looks so gross. But I'll reconsider. I'll reconsider now. I mean, I will sorry. say I I separate my peanut butter and my jelly as an adult in my own home, but it's purely <laughs> a vacation. Nostalgia sure. shortcut. No, you need that expedient. It's like MREs yeah. um, <laughs> right, yeah. at war. Um, well, you know, Matt, so thank you for that. I, I appreciate that uh, that more peaceful view. In fact, we could say that's what's wrong with the world. Why do we still have all these problems? Well, because spaghetti doesn't grow on trees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's the best explanation. Yeah. 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 Um, Gabby, how do you see the world? Uh, how does the world look to you with uh, spaghetti trees run amok? I'm honestly pretty excited about it. I think that'd be really great. Uh, my hype is also in the fact that, you know, clearly since, you know, we're, we're arguing that there are other subspecies for different types of noodle, um, I think that's just like the greatest possible life um, <laughs> that you could live is that I can go out and pick udon in my backyard. Uh, yeah. um, I think the only downside is, you know, the thing that I proposed with, you know, these seedless noodle trees is essentially a monoculture. Um, so monocultures are kind of dangerous. Um, that basically means that every plant is genetically identical. Um, mm. So this is a problem that we've run into a lot with bananas, where bananas are suffering from, I think it's a fungus, Matt? That banana uh, blight? I don't know. Um, 
and it, it did nearly extinct bananas before. Um, like, for example, I've never tasted a, was it, Gross, Gross Michel banana? Um, which is, as I understand, the banana flavoring banana. Uh, but it tastes very know. different from the bananas that we have right now. Um, and if you go to, like, any other place around the equator, you'll often find bananas that look nothing like what you've had at a grocery store because there are other cultivars that are just less common and not cranked out so much commercially. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the event of some pest that really arises to fill this new human-made niche of uh, pasta plant predator, um, you know, we might really have to make sure our food supplies are stable or maybe develop uh, some other varieties as backup to make sure uh, our entire agricultural industry does not crash. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I I would say we have to really crack down on... um, the uh, broadcasts we send into space because this is something that aliens would definitely want. They oh, definitely yeah. would. Mm-hmm. They're going to come for our spaghetti trees um, <laughs> with its built-in sauce sap. <laughs> 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 wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Well, thank you both for <laughs> this wonderful April Fool's. Um, very filling. It's the most filling and fulfilling uh, April <laughs> Fool's uh, I've ever experienced is wonderful. Um, a shout out to the people of Italy and thank you for all that you, you've done <laughs> with even without it, without even though spaghetti didn't grow on trees, you figured out how to make a wonderful meal that I enjoy uh, as often as possible. Um, and uh, a shout out to Gabby's ancestry for their um, madcap experiments, um, <laughs> crossbreeding trees in Brooklyn. That's wonderful. Uh, Queens. Um, I I misspoke the first time. It's in Queens. If if you happen to live in a house with a lot of persimmon trees, that might be my grandmother's old place. Oh, that would (laughs) be nice. Fantastic. And apologies now to the people of Queens for accidentally referring to you as Brooklyn. That was me. (laughs) Letters and send the cards. That's right. (laughs) Address complaints too. (laughs) Um, Fantastic. Gabby, anything uh, anything you'd like to plug coming up? Anything exciting uh, happening? Mm -hmm. No, although I will say, based on this episode, I'm gonna have to get myself noodles for dinner. Yeah, that is it. That is my only plug is that I really need <laughs> noodles <Okay>. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I guess it, there's been a. Um, I don't know if it's still going. Right before the pandemic started, there was this real, um, as happens in Brooklyn, um, this kind of new wave of artisanal ramen shops opening up. Oh yeah. Oh, so good, so good. I think I'll have to seek that out, perhaps for lunch. I can't wait till dinner. Um, Matt, how about you? Anything uh, you'd like to plug? Um, let's see here. The American Physics Society is meeting here in New York City next weekend. Huh. Um, and I'll be speaking on the, the 10th on Sunday, if anybody um, no wants to come by. Um, I should say it's not an easy conference to get into, but if you find yourself there, um, I'd love to see you. Ah, oh, not easy. You mean in it's expensive? It is expensive. It's... Yeah. Um, ah, okay. Um, but it might well, be actually. Now that I think about it, it might be possible to attend virtually um, without cost. So that might be worth looking into. Interesting. Okay. And uh, the group again, American... the American Physics Society, the APS. American Physics Society. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and when you say next Sunday, you mean the tenth? That's correct. Or... Yeah. Oh well, I gotta see. Maybe we can. I'd love to come see you at that possible see if i can get a press pass oh that's you a good know, idea yeah wear the sure. little hat i have to have the fedora with the little gotta have the hat yeah sticker so the notebook, says, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that'd be great um fantastic fantastic well thank you both um 
If you enjoyed this uh, this pasta episode, then when you think of pasta, think of Patreon. Patreon.com <laughs> slash what the if. Go become a member, support us. Um, you know, we, we will we will uh, we will soon have our own line of uh, pasta and uh, spaghetti sauce. I think it'd be great. What the I mean, who wouldn't want to buy a, a, a spaghetti called what the if? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Mm, delicious it's so delicious they called it if um and uh speaking of which matt will you help us uh help us round out the show with our with the recipe uh for the witch's brew uh, that we engage in here at the end well so one of the consequences of our world full of pasta is an enormous number of pasta varieties so now when you go into the grocery store and you turn down the pasta aisle it's no longer a dozen choices it's two dozen or a hundred or a thousand and oh. when you're confronted with the sheer number of noodles you have to choose from, you collapse on the floor and scream, What the Molto grazie. And other words that I learned from The Sopranos. Thank you for a wonderful show. Hope you all enjoyed it. Send in your ideas. What recipes will you make? What uh, genetic breeding will you do in your backyard with your spaghetti trees and your pasta sap let us know whattheif.com and we'll see you all next week arrivederci